We are going to be looking in uh, Galatians chapter 6. This is kind of an off week because I'm following the study. So most of your groups took the March break off, and so I don't have an Ephesians message to talk to you about. Um, and you'll be doing your next Ephesians part 5 um, this week. And so if you don't have that handout, it was in the bulletin last week. If you don't have it, you can go to the website and look at last week's sermon, and you can download the handout there and have your homework for your group. I'm sure your group leaders are keeping you up to speed with when you're meeting and all of that. But that gives us an off week. And so I thought this morning um, I would just continue in this theme of power and love. And um, last week we talked about Paul uh, praying for power and that people would have the power of the knowledge of the love of God towards us. And and uh, the thing about Ephesians, the first three chapters are very kind of heavy in doctrine. Ephesians switches over in chapter 4 to become very practical, but we've had about four weeks of very heavy doctrine. We've talked about things like election and sovereignty and total depravity and uh, spiritual power and things like that, and, and not super practical. So this week with Galatians uh, chapter 6, I'd just like to look at a really practical example of how we are meant to use the power that Paul has prayed that his church would have. What do we use that power for? And in Galatians 6, we have an example where Paul says that we use that power to be burden lifters, not burden placers. And so I just want to look at how we are burden lifters in love in the church. And so if we look in Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 to 5, Paul writes to his churches in the area of Galatia, um, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Here's the key verse. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then... His reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Now, throughout this text, which is about a brother or a sister overtaken by sin, uh, it's a a situation in the church where uh, they've committed an offense in the community of believers. And it's a warning against pride, and it's a call to humility, and it's a call to be burden lifters or burden bearers. Is not a call for the sinner in this case, but for the community of believers surrounding the offender. Notice, Paul's not talking about the offender. He's not talking about the trespasser. He's talking about the people around the trespasser. So he's not, he's not speaking to the person who is sinning. He's not speaking to the person who has offended. He's speaking to those who may be offended by this person. He's, he's speaking to the people that are surrounding them. And so this is a lesson for us. Purity for the sinner will start in their humility, but purity for the church will only be maintained in a culture of humility and a culture of love. And so the action which means commanded here is the lifting of the burden of sin. And the spirit in which the command must be done is in love and in humility and in gentleness. And so first, the context of, of the idea of tension or the tension of, of the idea of sin in the church. And this is what Paul is addressing in Galatia. And, and, and in the text, he clearly says somebody who's caught in transgression, somebody who's caught in sin, somebody who's caught in a trespass, somebody who's caught in an offense, in the church he's talking about. And an illustration that I like to think of here is, is sometimes people describe the church as a hospital, and so you can think about it this way. 
Um, you go into a hospital, you might visit a hospital, and it's, it's perfectly clean, and everything is white, and the tiles are all clean, and the beds are all perfectly made, and people are walking around in great health, and you know nobody's sneezing, and you don't smell any sort of medicine smell, and you're, you're thinking, well, this is a fantastic hospital. And then they say, yeah, we don't let sick people in here. You know, this, this needs to be a place of cleanliness and purity, and so we keep all the sick people and the diseased people outside of the hospital so that our hospital is nice and clean. Well, that doesn't make sense. But then you go to the other extreme, and you go to a hospital, and it's, you know, there's no smell of medicine or antiseptic, and there's dirt on the floor, and the bed sheets are dirty, and, the, you know, people are oozing, you know, wounds uh, kind of all over various surfaces, and... You know, you sort of say, this is a disgusting hospital. And they say, yeah, we don't really care about sanitation. We're just here to help people. We don't actually, you know, we just sort of bring them in and kind of find a place for them. And we don't actually work on purity or cleanliness. You know, we're just here for all the hurting people. And it's like, well, okay, that seems noble. But it seems like a hospital needs to find some place in between, right? Like, it is a place for sick people. It is a place for hurting people. But we do have to care about Somebody being healthy. Somebody's got to be the doctor. Somebody's got to be the nurse. Somebody's got to bring medicine to treat the wound. Somebody's got to care and tend them. And and the church is like that. The church is about purity. It is about cleanliness. But it is also about opening our doors to all of us sinners who sometimes have issues that are bleeding on other people or, or, or causing problems. And so the church is a place where you are welcome if you are burdened, if you are sinful, if you are harmed if you are wounded, but the church is also a place where you should find a culture of healing and of care. And so Paul is dealing with that here. He's saying there will be sin in the church. There will be trespasses. There will be offenses because we are all wounded and sinful people. But then what is the culture to be in response to that? And Paul is dealing with here someone who has stumbled, a believer who has stumbled in sin. He's not talking about somebody who's unrepentant. He's not talking about someone who has hardened their heart, who's deliberately causing problems, who's refusing treatment, so to speak. But he's talking about someone who's been caught in a trespass and now needs help. And there's different responses to those different categories of sin, and that requires discernment and gentleness and restoration. But what Paul's talking about here is that Paul intends the church to come around this person and lift their burden and to help them when they are caught in this trespass, when they are caught in this sin. That burden lifting be a value that's practiced by the church where love and humility is present and gentleness can lead to restoration. Burden lifting is the value that's expressed. And to understand what burden bearing or burden lifting and fulfilling the law of Christ is, what I want to do is just start with maybe considering the opposite. Let's, let's consider what it would mean to be a burden placer. How could the church be getting this wrong that Paul would instruct them to be burden lifters? And what are the ways that churches could be burden makers? And the example is actually right here in the book of Galatians. If you remember, we did this series about a year and a half ago. And in the book of Galatians, there are these people called the Judaizers. You have to remember that Christianity came to the Jews first. So you had Jewish people who had a at that time, roughly 3,000-year history of law and Jewish tradition and the Moses and the fathers and the Psalms and the prophets and the Christianity, Christ came and gave his message of the gospel to them first. 
And so there were Jews, Jewish people, that's why they're called Judaizers, who had accepted Christ, heard the message of Jesus, heard the message of Paul and the disciples, and they said, we understand that we believe in the Messiah. We see the Messiah in our scripture. We understand the Messiah is coming. We're convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, and they've you know, decided to follow Jesus, but they still hang on to, well, we still need to eat kosher. We still need to worship on the Sabbath. We still need to go to temple. We still need to do the feasts and the sacrifices. And so they started to synchronize the gospel and Christianity with Jewish law. And so they were called Judaizers. And they're present in this letter in the Galatians. And and Paul is speaking out against them, saying, no, the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. There is nothing that you add to Jesus. And so he has to deal with this of how these people are, are, are putting burdens on people by saying you are not behaving in the right way and there's different ways that we do this the first way is by adding shame to the transgression so we have someone in the church who has offended someone in the church who has strayed and we come along and we say not only have you done something wrong but i'm going to make you feel ashamed for it and so we start adding shame to people's already struggle with their sin and so we place the burden of shame on top of whatever transgression that they have done The second thing that we do in the church that we add burdens to is by gossiping or turning the community against a person. It it really makes it hard for somebody to be restored in whatever transgression they have done, whatever sin or offense they have committed, if other people in the church are gossiping about it and turning people against them, right? And we see in Titus, Paul says, remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and led astray. And so Paul says, hey, come on, church. Speak with gentleness about people. Don't add shame, and don't gossip, and don't turn the community against a person. Here you have someone who is caught in a transgression. They've offended, and they want to restore, but then the church is adding the burden of quarreling and not being gentle and not showing courtesy. Instead, they are turning the community against a person. That's the second way that we can add burdens in the church, and we see it happen, and Paul speaks to it. The third way that we can be burden placers and not burden lifters is offer advice without helping. And this is people in the church who take on the role of the Holy Spirit in other people's lives. And so you see somebody who is struggling or you see somebody who has offended and you start to quote Bible verses at them and give them platitudes about how they should fix themselves, but you don't take any action yourself to help them. You just stand back and coach them basically on what they're doing wrong and how they can fix themselves. And so we place burdens when we simply offer advice to people, but never actually help them out of the burden that they're trapped under. We see this in Matthew 23. Jesus says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat and so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. See what Jesus is saying here? He's saying, the the scribes and the Pharisees know their scripture. You, You should listen to the things they say, but don't behave like they do, because all they do is just people, and they don't do anything to help them lift it. And so we can be burden placers instead of burden lifters when we simply quote platitudes or quote scripture and point out all the faults in the transgressor's life and then just walk away and don't actually help them get out of the situation that they're in. That's what Jesus condemns the Pharisees for. A fourth way that we can do it 
is that we can distort or withhold the gospel from the situation. And all three of these previous things and the Judaizers with their laws are all distortions of the gospel. But sometimes we can literally distort the gospel by tacking on requirements to the law or to grace or not offering or applying the gospel at all. And and what I mean by that is we don't offer the gospel as the means of escape. We don't point towards Jesus as the way to overcome sin. And so quite often when people are caught in a sin or caught in a transgression or they're under this burden of what they have done, we come to them and we say, well, you have to do this and you have to do this and this is a bad part of your quality or a bad part of your character and you need to fix that and behave better. And we start there and that's not the gospel. The gospel is not... Be a better person. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You know, recognize how wrong you are and start fixing those things. They will not overcome their sin that way. The gospel is treasuring Christ. Treasuring Christ comes before overcoming overcoming sin. If we press people to behave morally without first giving them the gift of the gospel and calling them to treasure Christ, then we're not discipling in a gospel manner. There is no way to pursue morality without first pursuing Jesus. And so these are all different ways that Paul knows and we see in Scripture that that we can be burden placers. And it's things that churches everywhere, and even sometimes our church, are guilty of. We are guilty of adding shame to transgressions. We are guilty of just giving people platitudes and Bible verses and telling them to do better. We are guilty of gossiping and turning the community against people when they've sinned or offended We are guilty of coming to them and not actually providing them with the good news that Christ died for them and that their sins are forgiven and that they start with treasuring Christ and the grace that they have received in Christ first before they we call them to some sort of moral behavior. Everything has to start with the gospel. And so churches are guilty of this and we can be burden placers rather than burden lifters. We want to make burdens lighter for people. So some of you wonder what you're supposed to do in church, what you can do to help out. Well, there's a vocation for you that will bring you more satisfaction than anything else. Anyone can develop this skill of detecting the burdens of others, detecting what other people are struggling with, including sin and transgression, and devote yourself daily to seeking those people out, helping them see the gospel, and lifting that burden of that sin or transgression that they're caught in. That is something all of us need to get better at. So instead of doing that, instead of being burden placers, what does Paul said? He says, instead, fulfill the law of Christ. He says in, in verse 2 there in chapter 6, he says, in this way, when you lift burdens, you will fulfill the law of Christ. And it's an odd phrase to be used in especially the letter to the Galatians because this is a letter in which Paul says in 5.18, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And in 3.13, he says, Christ redeemed us from under the curse of the law. And so Paul is teaching the Galatians all the way through here that they are free from the law. And here he gets to the last chapter and, and, and he says, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Well, that's odd. Paul, you've just, you've just been telling us that we're set free from the law, and now in your big finale, you tell us that we have to fulfill the law of Christ. And so is, is Paul just saying, I, I want to replace one law with a new law that's kind of an equal burden? No, that's not it. Paul is, in fact, wanting to contrast two laws. He's contrasting the old law of the letter and the new law of the Spirit in Christ. 
He contrasts an old law, one that we are dead to, he says in Romans 7, 4, and a new law that we are made alive to, he says in 1 Corinthians 15, 22. These are two very different laws that he's contrasting, a law that you are now dead to and a law that you are made alive in. The difference is, is that Moses gave us a law, but that law could not change our hearts so that we could freely obey. Jesus has now come and replaced that law. Our pride and our rebellion and our selfishness was not conquered by the law of Moses. But Jesus now has a new law for us, the law of Christ. Now this is how the law of Jesus takes away our selfishness, takes away our self-reliance, takes away our pride. This is important that you understand this. You have to understand how the law of Christ, how the law of Jesus, how the law of the Spirit brushes aside our pride and makes this new transformation, this new burden-lifting love possible. The old law came along and humbled us a little bit. The old law of Moses came along and humbled us a little bit by saying, look, you are missing the mark. You are falling short. These are the Ten Commandments. This is the law of God. Look at all the ways you offend people and offend God. But the people's response to the law when it came through Moses was to say, we agree, we understand, we are sinful people. We fall short of the glory of God. But then they said, fine, you know what? I am going to be a great law keeper then. My response to the law that I failed is that I am now going to succeed I am going to be the best law keeper ever. And so you had the rise of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the legalists and the moralists and we replaced pride in ourselves, which we were operating in before we knew God, before we knew His law. We were just, you know, build up myself and build up my family and build up my tribe and build up my country, you know, pride in myself. We replaced that with another kind of pride, with pride in keeping the law, which we really couldn't. But we tried really hard. Right? We, we tried to be the best law keepers ever. But the focus was still on us and how awesome we could be at being religious. Maybe not perfect, but at least better than those Gentiles. right? And so pride, the law never really conquered our pride. It just moved it to a new place. And very quickly, religion became a game of justifying my goodness by finding the faults in other people around me. And so the old law of Moses never really conquered our pride. But then Christ summons us, when Christ summons us to obey his law of love, he offers us himself to put our pride to death and change our hearts and to empower us by the Spirit and fulfill his law because of this. If Jesus fulfills the law for us, this is the gospel now, if Jesus has come and fulfilled a law that we cannot fulfill, If Jesus has come and lived a perfect life without sin that we could never live, and if this perfect law keeper and law fulfiller then sacrifices himself willingly for us, dying the death that we should die in response to our sin, and taking on in his death our sin, and in in exchange giving us his righteousness, then where is our pride? Do you see? Do you see how the new law of Christ, how the gospel does away with any kind of pride? You cannot be proud in yourself and you cannot even be proud in your law keeping because Christ has come and he has fulfilled the law, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, 
taken on our sin, given us our righteousness, and repeatedly through Christ, through Scripture, we are told in the New Testament, Jesus has done it all. He did it for every, everyone. We aren't any different than our neighbor. We aren't any different than our coworker or our spouse. Jesus just flattened the entire field so that none of us could find even a lump of dirt to stand on to get our heads over anyone else. And the law of Christ takes away all pride. Ephesians 2, we already covered it in Ephesians, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and it is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So our pride has no foothold under the new law of Christ. You see how that's important? And so Paul comes and he says, when you lift burdens for others, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. And this law of Christ is not like the old law, where you can have any pride or any self-reliance. This new law of Christ is one of humility, And one of love. All we have is compassion for each other because we are all equal. We are all in the same boat. None of us have any advantage over any other. We all need Jesus the same. We're all sinners that are saved by grace. The law of Christ is humility and love. But the law of Christ, Paul says, how do you fulfill that law? Paul says it in one sentence. He says, bear one another's burdens. When you bear the burdens of other sinners you fulfill the law of Christ. Okay then, we get to the, the meat of this thing now. How then do we bear burdens? We've seen how we can be burden placers. We understand that the law of Christ has set us free in love and humility to bear burdens of others. How do we actually bear those burdens? Basically, this new law says it's no longer a list of rules that someone can bear. It's what burdens can we bear for each other. Even though the law of Christ is more radical in love than the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus can say, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus himself says, This is how you follow me with a light burden, bearing each other's burdens, making each other's load lighter. I will make your load lighter. The law of Christ is not easier because it's more permissive. It's easier because when we are weak, He is strong. It's easier because it's a call for us to share our burdens with Him. And here we see in Galatians also with each other. The law of Christ is easier because it produces the fruit of love. In Galatians 2.20, He said, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's an easier law to follow because it's Christ who's living it in us. And so Christ never commands us to do anything that He wants us to do on our own. And so therefore, every command in the law of Christ is a call to faith and trust in Him and a command for us to do together as the body of Christ. Not a command to perform on our own, but a command to trust in His performance for us. And so this is how we're going to bear the burden. We're going to bear it together. And we're going to, sorry, this is how we're going to fulfill the law of Christ. We're going to fulfill it together. And we're going to fulfill it by lifting burdens. When we trust, and the word trust we can say faith, we say through our faith, God supplies the spirit of Christ, Galatians 3.5. And through the spirit, we produce the fruit of love, Galatians 5.22. And through love, we fulfill the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. So you can see the chain. In our faith, in our trust, God supplies the spirit. Through the spirit, he produces fruit in us. And through that fruit, we fulfill the law of Christ. And so if you trust him, you will fulfill his law of love. And you will devote yourself to lifting the burdens of others. Okay, so how do we do this? If this is the law of Christ, then in what way are we burden lifters? Let's just look at this text again. Brothers, 
If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too are tempted. And so Christians stumble. This is the point that I opened up with, right? Christians fail. Christians still sin. Christians get caught. He says, brothers, brothers and sisters. He's, he's speaking to the church. And then he says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and the burden that Paul is talking about here is sin. It's a, it's, it's a stumbling. And it's important that we get the word caught correctly here. The phrase in the Greek for the word caught, or the word for the word caught in Greek, and I don't have it here, so I have to try and remember my Greek. Uh, I can't remember it now. Um, Penelumbro, I think, or something like that. Um, but that phrase in Greek uh, is, is not caught as in caught with your hand in the cookie jar. Right? And too often when we read this verse and we think, oh, somebody in the church has been caught in sin. Like they've been caught with their hand in the cookie jar, right? They've been caught. That's not what this word means. Okay? Too often our first thought about sin in our own lives and the sin of others is, I don't want to get caught sinning. Or, aha, we caught you sinning. But that's not the caught that Paul's talking about here in this sentence. So it's important you understand that right away or you'll be off on a completely wrong track right from the very beginning of the sentence. You have to understand that caught here means overtaken, right? As in a race, right? If Like a NASCAR race, one car caught the other, you know, or a foot race, he caught up to that person. That's the caught here. It's caught as in overtaken. It's not God or someone has caught me sinning, but it's sin has caught up to me. Sin has overtaken me. Sin has grabbed me. Sin has caught me in its trap. And so Paul is saying when a brother has been caught, overtaken by sin, then you need to restore him and bear that burden. And so you realize the sentence has a totally different meaning. This is not emphasizing a community that tries to shine spotlights on people sinning in order to catch them. It is emphasizing a community that recognizes when someone has been overtaken and captured and recognizes when someone has had their leg caught in the trap of sin and they need to be set free and they need to be healed. And so Christians do get overtaken by sin. Our flesh causes us to stumble. We get trapped. We get chained. As Paul says here, we are burdened and we need healing and we need restoration. And this is a burden we need help bearing. This is a wound that we need help healing. So how do we be burden lifters? How do we be burden bearers? First of all, by absorbing or bearing the result of sin and forgiving it, bearing it daily. When someone in the church sins, they often sin against another Christian. Sometimes they sin against the whole community. It certainly affects the whole community. Whenever Paul talks about the church being a body, it says that when one part grieves, we grieve with that part. When one part is wounded, the whole body feels it. And so when sin takes place in the church, one of the ways that we are burden lifters is by bearing the outcome of that sin, dealing, resolving to deal with it, and forgiving that person. Colossians 3.12 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Now I don't want to rush too quickly over this because this is important. We have to understand that when we are sinned against or when there is sin in our midst, what forgiveness means, means that we are willing to bear the result of that offense. The result of the offense doesn't go away. Whatever hurt was caused was hurt. Whatever relationship was damaged was damaged. 
It's not going to magically disappear. Forgiveness means bearing it. Forgiveness means saying, I'm willing to continue to go on living in community with you and forgiving the fact that that damage took place. And we have to understand that that means bearing something. And that's what Paul is speaking to here. We need to bear the burden of one who has trespassed or been caught in sin. That's the first way. Resolve to forgive and resolve to bear that burden. Secondly, we bear the burden by repaying evil with good. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. So you can forgive someone a debt, but then you have to take the next step and help them bear the burden that caused the debt. Right? And so somebody may have sinned against you, they may have borrowed money, they may have done something, Uh, I'm using money as an example, and then they've spent it, and then they owe you the money, but they can't pay you back. And so first of all, you say, well, I'm never going to get the money back, so I'm going to bear that burden, and I'm going to forgive you for doing that, and it's a cost I'm willing to pay and not getting that money back. But then we can bear his burden by repaying evil with good. So then you can go the next step and say, why don't you and I get coffee and look at your budget and we'll figure out why it is that you keep needing to borrow money and I will help you with your finances. I will help you figure out how to get a handle on your lifestyle or on this or that. You know, maybe this is just training you never got. And so keep the thousand bucks, that's fine. Water under the bridge. Never lend expecting a return anyway. Proverbs tells us that for good reason. So that's water under the bridge, I forgive it. But now I want to bless you. I want to come alongside with you. We'll get a coffee. I'll work through your finances. You see, you repay evil with good. Or you meet with them and say, you know what? I understand that you're struggling with this sin. And it's hurtful. It's caused damage in our relationship. It's caused damage with people around me. But let's get together. I got this book on this issue, whatever the issue is. doesn't matter. Marriage, addiction, whatever it is that they've done. Relationships, you know, pride, whatever. I've got this study, this Bible study on this. Why don't we get together for coffee once a week for the next six weeks? And let's just work through this. Let's figure out how we can grow together in this. So don't just forgive, but bear the burden with them. Repay evil for good. Or thirdly, by maintaining fellowship to restore and be encouraged. When there's sin, when there's offense, when there's transgression in the body of Christ... Make sure that fellowship is maintained. Get past relational awkwardness or get past any sense of being cut off from community. The load we bear is so much lighter when we know that we are accepted and not rejected. Romans 12, 18, Paul says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He doesn't say live peaceably with people that have never offended you. He doesn't say live peaceably with people that are nice and easy to get along with. He says, as much as you are able, the effort is on you, as much as you are able, live peaceably with all. That means live peaceably with the person that's offended you in the past, live peaceably with the person that's really difficult to get along with, live peaceably with the person that just rubs you the wrong way. We are burden lifters in the church when we live peaceably with everyone, even areas where there is tension, and to work Effort on us where it depends on you, our effort to get past awkwardness, to get past broken relationships, those people that you pass in the lobby and never speak to each other for whatever weird, awkward reason. Paul says, you are, that's a burden in a community. And Paul says, you're burden lifters in Romans. 
when you live peaceably with all as far as it depends on you. Christ bore all of our sins. Christ refused to retaliate. Christ did not repay evil with evil. Christ paid the price and kept on paying the price and keeps on paying the price for us. And he calls us to fulfill the law of Christ. To fulfill the law of Christ is to bear the sin, forgive, refuse to retaliate, don't repay evil with evil, but repay it with good, and keep on bearing with that person and live peaceably with them. Thirdly, we are burden lifters by speaking the truth in love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, Love is patient and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And one thing that I just want to say, when you read this you know, very famous, very well-known passage in 1 Corinthians 13 about what love is, and all of those things would apply to being burden lifters, it sets aside this verse very subtly, sets aside and destroys the myth that we have to affirm people when they act in hurtful ways that are not based on truth. Notice it says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but in truth. So when Paul says this, it's just a little aside. Paul does not say, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in right doing. You notice the text is not perfectly parallel. He doesn't say, love does not rejoice in people who behave badly, but rejoices in people who behave well. Right? He says, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but does rejoice in truth. And so Paul links the offense of sin or wrongdoing with the knowledge of truth. And there's a reason for that. Because you know what is at the heart of sin and wrongdoing? At the heart of all sin and transgression of wrongdoing, there's a lie somewhere. Tell me you don't know this, that when someone is offended at you or you are offended at someone else, when you have harmed a relationship or done damage with your mouth or with your words or with your thoughts, and when you actually have the courage to sit down and work it out, you realize, oh, I had something wrong here. I didn't understand, or I didn't know this about that person, or they didn't know where I was coming from, or I didn't know where they were coming from. And there was this little lie at the heart of the transgression, wasn't there? And so Paul says here that when we love people, we are not to rejoice in their wrongdoing, but we will rejoice in truth. And so the application here is that when there is an offense, when there is a transgression, when there is sin, when there is wrongdoing in the body of Christ, we don't just say, we don't just accept the wrongdoing. We bring truth to it. In fact, we work to unearth truth. And that's what love does. Love does not settle to just let misunderstandings go or to just let people believe things that are false or to settle for believing things that are false and being offended over false reasons. Love rejoices with the truth. That will go so far in your healing of relationships. If you are willing to get to the truth, you will rejoice because the truth will set you free and the truth will be the answer to so much transgression and offense. And so the the fourth way that we are burden lifters is that we do not settle for error. We do not settle for lies. We do not settle and rejoice in wrongdoing, but we rejoice in the truth. And the way that we lift burdens with that is that we 
continue to press in to find the truth in a transgression? What is truly going on here that caused this offense? What is truly going on here that's causing this sin? Because when we can get to the truth, we can set people free from the transgression or the sin or the offense. And that's how we are burden lifters. And so we need to be burden lifters by those things, by absorbing and bearing the result of sin and forgiving it, by, by repaying evil with good, by maintaining fellowship and community and restoring people into community and being encouraging, and by speaking the truth in love. We will be burden lifters and therefore fulfill the law of Christ. But then Paul finishes with a warning. He says, do this in humility. This is Paul's warning to burden bearers. He says, don't stumble in the same way. Be humble and loving and gentle. The purity of the church is rooted in love and humility. And the person needs to humble themselves and we need to deal with them humbly. Remember, he says, for if anyone thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast It's funny phrasing there. It doesn't mean exactly like what it sounds, similar to caught. But then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So he's basically saying, you take care of you. Make sure that you are not caught up in what your others are doing and and that you are taking care of your own health. For each will have to bear his own load. Everyone bears their burdens only as Christ gives them strength. We bear the burdens of others in the strength of Christ. And we bear our own burden only in the strength of Christ, taking it to the cross for him to bear. But Paul warns us. He says, when you're doing this, make sure you lift these burdens with humility. Make sure you understand that you are coming in love and compassion and humility. You are not coming like a Pharisee with more rules or to give advice, you know, or to uh, put more shame on the person or any of those other things. So Paul warns us this has to be done humbly and in love or it's not really burden lifting at all. Speak the truth in love. All of these things. Continue and end in humility before a pure and holy God. God calls his church to be a church of burden lifters. Lift each other's burdens with the love and compassion and gentleness and humility that we have in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, this morning, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the prayer of Paul in Ephesians that prayed that we would know the love of Christ, that we would be filled with power by his spirit, And Father, we have this spiritual power, we have this love, we have this strength. What do we use this strength for? Well, you've made it clear. We use this strength to bear each other's burdens. And Father, I don't know the situation that people are in here today. I'm not speaking to anything at all that comes to mind. I'm not singling anyone out. But we know people that have offended and people that have been offended. We we know people that have sinned. We know people that are trapped. They have been overcome and caught. sin has caught them in a trap. And Lord, sometimes we just keep our distance and we don't know what to do. But your word tells us to press in, come alongside them with humility, without adding shame, without adding burden. Just come alongside that person that is caught and say, I will bear that burden with you. I'll forgive you if I need to forgive you. I will counsel you if you need counsel. I will help you find the truth. I'll help you go to others. I'll keep you concluded in community. Whatever it is, Lord, we want to bear burdens for each other because we all stumble, we all fall. And you intend this life that we live in you to be done in community and done together as a church. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.